Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. Welcome into the show. A lot to get here early on a Friday morning in late May, Dan. Uh, definitely want to get your take on the draft, where the Giants currently stand, heading towards training camp. There's all kinds of crazy little stories going on with the Giants, as always. But uh, we've got we've got a couple items, I think, that demand our attention right off the jump here. Let me get your opinion. What, what do you think like, the lead story with the Giants right now? I mean, there are a lot of little things going on. I mean, <laughs> go scroll through Giants Wire and see what we mean. Um, but what do you think is the lead story, the jump-off point? Well, it's a tough call because you got, you know, the Giants hanging out with Rick Flair. Yes, yes. Uh, Darius Slayton shading the Kardashians. Um, you know, the good TMZ-like stuff. Honestly, no. I, I think as everyone in Giants land and Giants nation would recognize, obviously, the big story today as we're recording this is James Bradbury signing on with the Philadelphia Eagles and now becoming a rival of the Giants and playing them twice a year. Um, obviously, that has sub storylines in and of itself like Kenny Galladay going against two of his former teammates and trying to prove worthy and, and justified in the contract they signed with the team thank you Dave Gettleman um so, so yeah I would say predominantly other than the draft which we'll obviously touch on the big story in Giants land right now it's got to be it's got to be James Bradbury giant uh, joining the Eagles with a you know the backdrop being OTAs and everything that's going on there which have been you know, largely uneventful thus far. Ugh, it is just, it's just gross, right? I mean, is there anything more disgusting than Bradbury being an eagle, right? It's like the maggots in the hot dog bun. Type of disgusting <laughs> right. for Giants yeah. fans. Like, it's it's that bad. It's that bad. Right. And, uh, and it's unpleasant. Yeah. And, and John, uh, but oh, the sad thing is, is you kind of saw, it was kind of mapped out. You kind of saw it coming. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, <laughs> Joe Chain sort of overplayed his hand a little bit there with, you know, all the public comments about trading and potentially releasing Bradbury, every, you know, 31 other teams knew if they wanted him, they just had to wait out the situation. So it's certainly an opportunity to learn a little something about how to manipulate the media as a general manager. I think it is a lesson for Shane. Maybe, you know, don't put your hands out there in the open for everyone to look at next time. Yes. Um, at the same time, though, you know, there were trades in place, but Bradbury, you know, for whatever reason, you know, call him malicious or just business, he couldn't get the con uh, the con uh, agreement on contract extensions done. So, kind of left the Giants holding an empty hat, and in the end, he ends up with Philly, and it always seemed like it was going to be Philly or Washington. So, it's unfortunate for the Giants, but that's how the cookie crumbled. Yeah, and and, and we we all get the why, right? And and I like what you said about Joe Shane, and I want to get into some of that, right? Like maybe massage that a little bit further here as we go. We know the why, right? We know why Joe Shane wants to reset the books from the previous regime. We don't have to go too deep into that. He wants to start handpicking his own guys. We know that Bradbury's cap number, like it was like almost $22 million, right, Dan? Uh, that was going to be a problem. And Gettleman had already tacked on a void year in 2023. He had already restructured uh, Bradbury's contract. So that, that threw a wrench into it. There was, there was ways they could have you know, dealt with the money and, and kept him and extended him, I guess. But why kick the can down the road with James Bradbury when you're not going to win anytime soon? You, you, when you have a chance to draft a Cordell Flott, bring in younger guys and just do that thing. So that, that all made sense, but you nailed it. I mean, that's my take on this is like the whole moving James Bradbury was awkwardly public, 
Right? It was a very public knowledge. This is going on for months. We've been talking about this and waiting for the shoe to drop with James Bradbury. Like, how many podcasts? We were like, man, I, well, I wonder what, if we're going to figure out what happens with James Bradbury this week. Right, Dan? I mean, every Giants fan knew oh. that Bradbury was going to get moved, even if they were barely paying attention this offseason. It was just out there. We and, even scheduled this very show around waiting for that news. Seriously. It's so obvious seriously. that it was going to happen. <laughs> and, and, and Shane even had, really, he kind of admitted it a few times, most recently in that radio spot where he was asked about it and he said, you know, guys, and I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, we thought there'd be more interest. We thought there'd be a better market for him. Uh, so, you know, as you said, there was compensation in place with a few teams. One of those teams we know was the Texans. The Texans. Like, I'm shocked, Dan, that Bradbury couldn't figure out the contract extension with the freaking Texans, right? Like, go, let's go from one clown show to the other. Like, the Texans. So, I think I don't think the Giants, even though I understand the business side, I understand why they moved on from Bradbury. That was probably the right move, and it makes perfect business sense. I think don't think the Giants come out looking that great, though. I think it's a bad look that they kicked the can with Bradbury all the way through this offseason, made it very public, tried to trade him to the Texans, and we're not sure what, every, what other teams, but at least there was the Texans were a public one. And then you end up finally releasing him after the draft. You don't get any compensation. You didn't get that draft compensation you were looking for. You, you cut him after the draft when all these teams are pretty much set, right? We're through the first few waves of of free agency we're through the draft teams are really just signing their rookies at this point getting ready for for rookie the rookie mini camps and uh training camp and you cut bradbury loose at this point it's kind of it puts him in a tough spot for a starting corner in the league who's not a scrub at all he's a good player he's like, yeah. he's gonna start for the eagles so i think at the end of the day the way this played out although i understand the business side and i think it was probably the right move the way this all went down is a bad look for the giants and uh i think Bradbury probably feels feels like they uh, did him dirty, and I kind of agree oh, yeah. with him a little bit. Oh, there's no doubt about it that he feels that way. I mean, he hasn't necessarily come out and publicly stated that, but he certainly has refute, or, uh, retweeted a few things that yes. uh, indicate as much. So you could tell there's a level of frustration there. I don't think there was any malicious intent in it, obviously. I think the business side of things just didn't work out the way that you know Shane either intended or anticipated them to. And you know, part of the reason for that is because he was so public with his hand that, that you know, teams knew that they just, you know, essentially had to wait it out. Um, and obviously there were a few attempts at trades, like you mentioned, the Texans were one of them. And maybe Bradbury just felt like he would get a better deal overall on the open market. And and, and maybe he wanted to choose where he played for a very specific reason, which we, you know, it, it seems to be the case now. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's going to be thrilled to play. He's not just going to be thrilled to play the Giants twice a year. He's got to be thrilled about the system that he's going into because it plays directly into his skill set, which the Giants kind of got away from last year. So it works out for him in the sense that not only does he get to play the Giants twice a year, but he actually gets an opportunity to revitalize his career after what, you know, some would consider a down year last year after a very elite year the year prior to that. So I think it worked out for Bradbury in the end, uh, but it was very messy from start to finish. And obviously the Giants get left with nothing of benefit, nothing to gain out of it uh, whatsoever. Yeah, it, it's just a bad look. Him, he, I mean, he signed with Philly. Philly, Dan. And, you know, back in the day when I was, you know, back in my journalism days, newspaper days, grinding, I'd be driving home late at night after deadline. I used to listen to this national radio show. I forget which one it was, but I'd listen to it. It was always on at like 12, 1 in the morning when I was driving home. Um, and they always had this segment called What They Said, What They Mean. 
And so Bradbury said he signed with Philly because they have an elite defensive line, right? That's, he, that's what he said. He's like, oh, man, I love that defensive line. That's really going to help me out as a cornerback. Really what he meant was they got an elite defensive line, and I'm going to intercept Daniel Jones this year, right? That's basically yeah, what he said. Like, uh, he is – He's pissed. I think he's pissed that how this whole thing went down. Maybe that's uh, you know maybe that's conjecture there a little bit for the talk show, but still, I think he's pissed on how this went down, and I think he's going to punish us all by donating that hideous green Eagles jersey and sticking yeah. it right in our face twice this year. I, I really think there's some motivation there behind that. Oh no doubt, and you know as, as you know, I'm sure all Giants fans can attest that's a. Uh... It's just in a very unfortunate situation that you have to look at Bradbury in, in, in that Eagles helmet and that Eagles jersey twice a year. That's just, that is certainly sour. Um, you know, the one plus that you maybe could take away from it is that Bradbury does have a propensity for giving up a big player to a game. And, you know, granted, he comes back very often and makes an interception, forced bumble, et cetera, et cetera, to kind of balance that out. But he is certainly susceptible to, you know, being beaten for big plays once or twice a game. So the Giants are going to have to hang their hat on that and and try to expose those weaknesses when they play them, you know, each of those two times this year. But it's it's going to be a very unfavorable matchup for the Giants because, to be fair, the Eagles do have a very talented defensive line. And now they have two strong, solid starting, you know, CB1s out there yep. with Redbury and Slay. So, you know, it is unfortunate the Giants have to go in and face that twice a year, but that's that's a product of the business. You know, if the Giants want to say, hey, business is business, well, that, you're right. Business is business, and now you got to deal with it, too. Had to be that team, huh? Had to be Philly. That's just gross. Of course it was going to be. Gross. I know everybody was hoping for the Raiders, but, you know, I, I even tweeted back on, what did I say it was, May 9th or something like that, that uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stink to see the Giants have to play Bradbury twice a year. Nailed it. And people were like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. But just please, Commanders, just go to the Commanders, not the Eagles. I I don't want to see them in that green. I I think that would have been, um, yeah, that that would have been a a fine consolidation prize as opposed to the Eagles or the Cowboys. But, you know, alas, Bradbury on the Eagles in that disgusting puke green, pea green uniform they got there. Where's Gettleman right now? I mean, I know he's probably sipping on bourbon, rooting for his Celtics. But, I mean, really, this comes down to to him. He, He structured and restructured this contract. He added that void year in 2023. He really made it. He really forced uh, Joe Shane's hand when it comes to the business side of it. I mean, you know, yeah. The Gettleman and company really genuinely believed that they were going to win. Yep. Yep. I don't know how they could possibly go in the last season thinking they were going to win. Just a slight miscalculation, Dan. But uh, they they really genuinely believed they were going to win, and they, they gambled it all. And unfortunately, it really... It really hurt the team long term. And we're not even going to see the end of that this year. We're still going to see, you know, lingering effects of this for, you know, quite a few more years. So yep. it is unfortunate that that's the situation that, you know, you know, Shane inherited. But that's the nature of the game. It's like a president. You know, you go out and you campaign on on all these things and you want to take control of the country. However, you feel it was run by the predecessor. You're out there campaigning saying, I'm going to take it. I'm going to fix it. And that's what Shane did. And to his credit, that's what he's doing. Yeah, well, I think we're both uh, we're both in agreement. I think we both understand why Bradbury's gone. We also think that it was very messy and not a great look for the Giants the way it all played out, no. and the fact that he ends no. up with the Eagles. So, yeah. uh, I, like I said, I think that's that's a lesson to be learned for yeah. Shane. Though, yeah. don't I like do that. not publicly put that stuff out yeah. there and then hope that it works out in your favor when everybody knows the hand you're playing. That yeah. doesn't work that way. It's a great point. It's a great point. So, yeah, let us know on Twitter how you feel about the Bradbury stuff. Uh, let Dan know, Giants Wire on Twitter. We want to know uh, your take on it. Um, 
how do you feel about the cornerback room now for the Giants overall, Dan? Well, um, it's not great. <laughs> young, right? It's a lot younger and it's a lot cheaper. That, that seems to be the plan. Yeah, it, it is. And I mean, they're trying to get some familiarity, obviously, with Martindale's system. They, they've, you know, signed some players in recent days that come from those systems that, you know, worked in those systems. They understand the terminology. If nothing else, they should be able to help the other cornerbacks in the room sort of learn the playbook, learn the calls, learn all the intricacies of that system. But as far as just straight cornerback depth, it's very young. Uh, it's very undersized in many cases. Um, there's a lot of work to be done there. And the Giants are going to have to rely very heavily on Adore Jackson because if he goes down or has a subpar season, they're in a really, really bad, bad situation. <laughs> going to see some Cordell Flott. Going to see some Aaron Robinson. Going to see some young guys this year. I mean, the hope obviously is that these guys develop. They come along and they develop quickly. You know, they play well. And listen, there's enough of them there that maybe you're going to get a hit or two. Whether or not they're going to be able to become, you know, Bradbury or have that same level of production as Bradbury instantaneously is probably not as likely. But you've got guys like Aaron Robinson, Darius Williams, who flashed last preseason considerably. You know, there was a lot of high hopes for him. He's got a, you know, he's got a pretty high ceiling, but he is a little bit older than some of the other ones having come out of college later. Uh, Aaron Robinson, obviously going to be the guy I think, personally, I think is going to be the one that gets, you know, the first swing of the bat at, at starting alongside Jackson. But you've got other guys in there. Flott's going to play a little outside. He's going to play a little slot. He can move around. Darnay Holmes comes back, you know, but then you got the two slot guys and you kind of get crowded in a spot where you don't necessarily need. So the Giants do have a lot of a lot of work that needs to be done at quarterback, at cornerback, and I don't think that they're done making any moves just yet. No doubt, no doubt. And, you know, Flott, uh, we mentioned him, the third-round pick at of LSU. Uh, let's let's turn our attention a little bit to the draft, Dan. I haven't got your your thoughts on the draft picks yet, so let's do it. And, you know, I know we always we always have to focus on the negativity to start all these shows. <laughs> this is what happens when you cover the Giants. Uh, but just take me back to you covering that day one, that Thursday night of the draft. That was a pretty fun night to be a Giants fan, was it? I mean, the way the way that all played out, that was a fun couple hours. You didn't have to stay up all night either as a fan. Like your picks came writer. right up. Yeah, well, as a writer, as a writer, you did because you never know what's going to happen, right? But that was a fun night to be a Giants fan. That Thursday night of the draft. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you were a Giants fan, you, you were thrilled with the way that played out. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better scenario. I haven't had was, that feeling in a long time as a Giants fan. Yeah, well, because you know, because the Giants they don't really get lucky. You know, they're bad. We all know that they're bad. They're just bad at football, bad at business for the longest period of time. <laughs> but along with that, they weren't lucky. And for the first time in a long time, they got really lucky on the first night of the draft. No doubt. And landed two players that at any given point in the months prior were considered number one overall picks, even locks at the number one overall pick at times. So to get what arguably were the two best players in the draft, certainly according to the Dallas Cowboys draft board they were, um, you, you can't possibly be happier than that if you're the Giants or a Giants fan. And not only did you get to, you know, of the best players in the draft, you got two locks for day one starters who are not only going to be on the field, but are going to have a tremendous impact and drastically improve each of those positions they're at, even though they're rookies. Yeah, no, Thibodeau was, as you said, he was the number one guy before he got hurt with Oregon, right? Like he was, he was the number one on all the mock draft. Luke Easterling on touchdown wire had him number one. I think during the football season last year, I asked him who would be the number one pick right now. He said, absolutely. Kayvon Thibodeau. 
the fact you get him at number five was pretty sweet. Yeah. I thought this the whole strategy was really fascinating, just watching as a football fan on Thursday night, Dan. Like the fact that the first four players were all defense yeah. really changed things, right? There was no all the offensive tackles were still there. And obviously the Giant, you know, Shane and uh, Dayball, they talked after the draft or after that first night about how they had gone through all these scenarios. But that was a scenario that I think was was kind of surprising. Four defensive players off the board. Uh, so now at number five, you could continue the run on defense, take Thibodeau, knowing that you're going to get one of these stud tackles, mm-hmm. right? Iquanu, Neil, Cross, whoever's top on your board, you're going to get them no matter what the Panthers did at number six. I found the strategy fascinating that the Giants decided to say, Let's get Thibodeau now, and we'll take whoever's there at seven. We're going to get a stud player. But they didn't want to handpick their tackle, right? They, they were more interested in handpicking the edge rusher than the tackle. And maybe Evan Neal was the guy all along. So that's, I think, why you said they got lucky, right? It was a lucky day because they got oh, their yeah. guy at seven. Oh, I, I would say undoubtedly Neal was, was their number one guy. But they really had to... You know, and I think Shane outlined it pretty good. They they really had to run through the scenarios of possibilities and think to themselves, if we pass on Thibodeau here with all of these other defenders that have gone off the board, you know, do we risk missing out on him? We still get our tackle of choice, but the secondary options along the edge behind Thibodeau dropped off considerably in comparison to where it dropped off if they didn't get Neil. Yep. And they they knew, you know, making that pick that at number six, it could be a quarterback. It could not, you know, it may not be a quarterback, but it certainly could be a quarterback. And the strategy for the Giants in that particular scenario seems, you know, it, it's a little daring, but seems obvious when you actually look at what happened after those picks were made. I mean, they went with Thibodeau because the drop-off in talent behind him was significant. The next defensive lineman taken was Jordan Davis at 13, and he was a defensive tackle. You could start going down the list further and further and further, and you don't really get to another edge rusher until you're down at the 30th pick where Kansas City uh, made their selection. So the the drop-off was considerable, so the Giants had to weigh those options. Do we have to you know, take this edge rusher now and then make our pick of the tackles later or do we risk taking the tackle that we want that's the top of our board now and then potentially miss out entirely on the edge rusher that we need? And the drop, like I said, the drop-off in talent is, is considerable after that. So the Giants had to decide, you know, which which way they wanted to go. And ultimately they chose on the side of the lacking talent and went with Thibodeau and then took the gamble that Carolina would either take one of their secondary tackles, which they ended up going with Quanu. Or there was obviously the possibility of them taking a quarterback. Like I said, they went with a Quano. That that worked in the Giants' favor because they ended up getting Evan Neal, who was number one on their board. So it was just a matter of personal preference for those teams as well as the gamble on where to take that tackle. And the Giants, like I said earlier, they lucked out for the first time in a long time. Yeah, and I do think you know they probably had some, you know, just a feeling that the Panthers weren't going to take their guy. Uh, but even if like the Panthers took Evan Neal, I still think that the Giants, they would have been high-fiving in the war they, room if they, they ended up with Iquanu or Cross, right? right? They would have been they, fine. They would have been, yeah. right. they would have been satisfied. There's no doubt about it. I mean, those are three quality tackles. Like, I, I don't think there was any arguing about that. I think it was pretty universally agreed upon, you know, leading up to the draft, um, that they were the three best. I, I think they, I think maybe Aquanu didn't have the backing in the Giants building to the degree that the other two did. And we sort of saw that in the reports and the rumors leading up to the draft. And I, 
And I couldn't tell you exactly why that is, but when Aquanu went at number six, that Shane and company had to be absolutely thrilled um, because it was, because not just because they got Evan Neal, but because had it even gone the other way, you know, they, they still would have lucked out. So it worked. The strategy either on either end worked out for them, and they they got the two guys that they wanted. And and that's not a knock on Aquanu. That's not a knock on Cross. I think both of them are going to go on to have you know stellar NFL careers. But I think if we're just all being honest with each other Evan Neal was the best of the three yeah it was it was really uh it was really exciting and fun how that played out and I actually placed a little wager on my phone Dan uh that the (laughs) Giants would draft Evan Neal at number five I didn't see those defensive players I didn't see Sauce Gardner going four uh so I mean all of that was um was really exciting I actually I put placed a little wager but I was wrong because they took him at seven and not five but I will say I was a little bummed when Iquano got picked at number six, I was like, oh, because he is such a he's such a specimen, that guy, right? Yeah. I mean, so it yeah. was a little disappointing. I'm like, oh, man, he's the first offensive player picked in this draft. Oh, man, did the Giants miss out? But then that just dissipated as soon as they drafted Neal, and, and it was time to celebrate. Right? It was just awesome. They got Evan Neal. Uh, this is I great. Think, That's who we I wanted. Neal, yeah, I think Neal fits the Giants particularly perfect. well. Perfect. Yeah, it's, it's like a perfect fit. And honestly, I'm telling you, like, there are some – concerns and what i would say are legitimate concerns that come with thibodeau um you know there were some issues with whether or not he would be more interested in his brand than he would be about football i'm not necessarily as concerned about that having covered players like odell Kadarius, tony etc etc you know michael strahan is another great example of you know you can make it both work but you still got to be successful on the field and i think what thibodeau did is he came in instantly and kind of quelled some of those concerns by talking about how he's going to focus solely on the playbook. And then, you know, he immediately went out and started doing amazing things in the community. And he immediately started stepping up and stepping into a role that it almost seemed like would have been scripted for him by Michael Strahan himself. So I think what concerns there were with Thibodeau kind of have, you know, been swept under the rug a little bit. There are some concerns with his all-around play. You know, is it going to be able to transition to the NFL level? And is he going to have the same level of success against, you know, tackles at the NFL level that he had at the college level? I don't necessarily think it's going to be as seamless as some want to believe it is. There's certainly some work that needs to be done there, some development that needs to have. You know, he needs to adjust to bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic offensive tackles. He's not going to be able to come in and, and do the same move every single time and find that level of success that he did in college. But there's no doubt that he's an explosive player. He's a very intelligent player. He's a very intelligent person, period. And, and he's highly motivated. So I think whatever concerns there were are dissipating a little bit. And I think ultimately the Giants got really too two really, really strong guys with those picks. Yeah, it was a pretty great first round. I, I, All the people that grade the uh, the first round of the draft, I don't see anything less than an A, A minus. I think, I think yeah. what everyone said was, you know, the Giants could basically bomb out for the rest of the draft, and they still did a yeah, tremendous it, job. It was sweet. And I, while I do think the first four picks probably dictated the strategy of taking Thibodeau, I also think them taking Thibodeau and just seeing what happened with the tackle at seven is a reflection on him. Uh, it shows you how much they wanted him and, and wanted that yeah. edge rusher. So I think that's a reflection on Thibodeau. I also love the kid's personality. He seems like he's going to be fun with the media. Oh, yeah. Easy he's to like, be, easy to root for. He, he's As a fan, he's going to be easy to root for. As a writer, boy, he's going to require a lot of work. Good content. Good yeah. content for him. Keeping <laughs> you busy. going to be a lot of work covering K-Ron. <laughs> Speaking of content, how do you feel about Wandale Robinson? Giants moved back a couple times there on day two. They end up with Wandale Robinson at 43. What do you think about it? 
Look, I'm not going to back down on my belief that that was an overdraft. I'm not knocking the player. I, I think, actually, as a matter of fact, I think what he brings to Giants is precisely what they need. And that's not saying, oh, they need another carbon copy of, you know, Kadarius Tony. But what they need is a speedy guy on the inside who can play on the outside, who can run the ball, who can be a gadget player, who can create space and separation on the field. Spacing and separation, how many times have we talked about that in recent years? The Giants are persistently behind the rest of the league when it comes to that. And and I think not only does a healthy Tony help fix that problem, but Robinson certainly helps fix that problem. His presence is going to benefit everybody else on that field. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he warranted that pick in the second round because I don't necessarily think that he did. And, you know, the, the argument is, is, well, how do you possibly know more than the general managers knew and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, apply that same logic to Dave Gettleman last year and let me know how you feel about that, all right? And that's not a knock on Shane. I could very well be wrong, but until I'm proven wrong, I felt like that was a bit of an overdraft. The Giants probably could have had him in round three. Yeah, I mean, and, and I and I believe you, Dan, because you do the work. You put in the work. But I do think that overall we are a little obsessed with our mock drafts and the Mel Kuypers oh, and the PFF that. rankings. No I do think that. I do think like when when people get really upset. Now you're not upset. You're just you're just giving a take on how you really feel. But the people right. that get upset and like scream and pound their pound their keyboards <laughs> that the, oh how the the Giants are stupid. They reach. It's like. We, can we just calm down a little bit? We're so right. obsessed with our mock drafts. We just got to calm it down a little bit there with the, with the, uh, just the, uh, just being outraged. Yeah. There's no doubt. I, yeah. You see that with, well, you see that with everything really these days, but it is funny because we were talking about it off air. We, we saw that a lot this year with the draft as a whole, and that's not giant specific. Yeah. My Patriots. Or even Patriots <laughs> yeah. right, specific. There were a lot of picks in this draft that left people angry, confused, mad, upset, you know, arguing, debating. Um, the truth is, and Wandale Robinson is, is a great example of this, given that he went at 43 overall. But there were a lot of picks that were made in this draft that were, were way off in comparison to what the quote-unquote NFL experts um, had suggested, believed, predicted, et cetera. More, more than I recall in any previous draft in recent years, um, there was a lot of really strange occurrences. And I have, you know, David Ajobo, N'Kobe Dean, some of these guys, Crazy. you know, Ajobo yeah. went maybe higher than some people thought because of his injury. Dean fell way further than people wow. thought. It was wild how far right. he fell. Yeah. Right. Robinson went at 43. No one saw that come in. Uh, obviously, the Patriots with their first round pick. There was all kinds of crazy picks that resulted in that kind of screeching on the internet. Yeah, Cole Strange for the Patriots in round one. Right. Wait, so if people were were yelling about the Giants taking uh, taking Wandale too ear- early at forty three, well, that ended seven picks later when Belichick moved up to fifty to get Tyquan Thornton. Because my Twitter feed <laughs> filled with uh, with Bostoners saying, "Ah, yeah, Mel Kiper had him in the fourth round." You know, like people were just very upset about Tyquan Thornton. So we just we're a little too obsessed with our mock drafts. We got to work on that. We all need and a little bit what? of therapy. You actually do make a good point, though, because, you know, I, I could sit here and say that, that Robinson would have been available in, in round three. But, you know, maybe maybe that's not the case, because when you when you look at what happened immediately after that pick, uh, you know, there were more, there were what five, six receivers taken in the next like 10 or 11 picks, something like that. So, you know, there was definitely a run on on them at that point. Yes. So, you know, maybe maybe Robinson wouldn't have fell. Would he have been one of those guys? You know, maybe maybe Belichick would have been the one that took him a few picks later. So maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, Robinson, Tyquan Thornton, Pickens, 
Sky Moore, Alec yep. Pierce. We're, we're going to be comparing all these players. Oh, yeah. uh, they're they're all very close. There was a run there. You're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, we're that, it's going to be easy to and judge Rondell Robinson. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Sky Moore. I thought he was going to be the pick for the Giants. I really did. Yeah, it is painful yeah. to see him go to the Chiefs. It's like, oh man. And then <laughs> of course you know, he, right, that's what, that was my reaction. Of course he did. Of course that's where he lands. Yep. You know, the Steelers <laughs> too, who never miss on on those wide receivers. It's like they take Pickens. It's like, ooh man, maybe we should have taken him. So yeah, yeah, there's totally that. But I actually I actually watched some Kentucky football this year. I won't go into the whole story, but like I, my wife's family is out in Ohio and Kentucky, and uh, so we we do follow those teams: Ohio State, Kentucky. We watch a lot of Kentucky because they were a fun little team. Uh, they had a good start to the year, so I saw some Wandale Robinson. I actually knew this player, Dan. You know, I'm not crunching the film on all these on all these uh, <laughs> draft pundits like our friends over at uh, Talking Giants do. Um, but I knew who Wandale Robinson was. I, I saw him play. He's a tough little fearless guy, right? Like yeah. he's got some grit and toughness, and you know, I don't want to say the Giants wide receivers are, are soft, but I, I do like the pick. I like that they drafted a tough little guy that sticks his nose in there because I think it does send a message. Not to anyone, and I don't think it's like a direct message to Kadarius Tony or anything, but I think it's a message to the whole group. Like, Kenny Galladay grossly underperformed last year. Kadarius Tony, like, just skipping work whenever he gets the chance. Like, you know, it struck a nerve because he showed up. So good for uh, Dayball and company getting Tony to, to work. That was good. Uh, we love Sterling Shepard, but he's constantly hurt. We love yeah. Darius Slayton for his tweets re- recently, but he kind of like disappears sometimes on the field. He just yeah. like, he's out there, but he's like, "Where's Darius Slayton?" So oh, I gosh. think the Robinson pick makes sense. Like, send a message to these guys. Put some pressure yeah. on guys. Like, let's get this kid in here. Like, if you guys if you don't want to show up to work, Darius, we got Wandell Robinson now, and he's already seems to be creating a rapport with Daniel Jones. Yeah, so that's, I think that's, I, that's... in that regard, I do like the pick. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that Giants fans should have from OTAs is that Robinson and Jones were connecting early. And that's that's a really positive sign, especially when you consider that, you know, Jones is going to do this typical offseason thing and he's going to have everyone, whether they go to Duke or, or wherever else, he'll have his, his time to throw with all of them. Tony tends not to, you know, attend those events or those practices and, and work out. Very but busy, I, I he's very busy this time of year. Yeah, I would imagine that Robinson certainly is, and I think that's only going to serve to benefit him further. I mean, all of these guys have a little bit of an uphill battle ahead of them. I don't think any one of them is guaranteed a starting job or even a job at this point. Um, Galladay, kind of, you got to pencil him in strictly because of his contact, but after that, you know, it's kind of all up for grabs, and it's not like the Giants are thin at wide receiver. Once, you know, you start going down that list, you got... C.J. Board, Colin Johnson, who played really positively at times, tallest receiver on the team, and that's obviously, you know, comes with its own benefits. David Sills, who is very close with Daniel Jones and has a great rapport with him. Alex Bachman, another talented, you know, wide receiver. And then you go down, and they've, they've added players. Ruben Foster, who was with, uh, you know, who was with the with the, um, the Bills, Austin Prohl, uh, Rich James, you know, it kind of just like I said, you just keep going down down this list, and it's, it's a ton of wide receivers. Of, it's crazy, a ton of wide receivers who have all kinds of different skill sets, and I and I think you know they all got to come in, they all got to work hard, and I think Tony in particular should really take a lesson from the rest of the guys. And to his credit, to his credit, he's not missed the day since those trade rumors, but he really needs to put in that extra effort too. He's got to go work out with Daniel Jones, get a rapport down. The more of a rapport and chemistry they can build with with Daniel Jones, the better it's going to be for the team as a whole. And I think the Giants do have a little bit of a luxury of riches right now with the sheer amount of 
quality wide receiver talent that they do have, they're not all big names. You know, once you get down past Shepard and Robinson, you know, people are going to say, ah, these are hit or miss, take them or leave them kind of guys. But they all bring something to the table. You know, C.J. Board is a great return man. He was one of their best return men last year. Like I said, Colin Johnson, he's six foot six. He's the biggest guy. He's a great red zone and end zone target. And like David Stills, Bachman, et cetera, et cetera. All of them can bring something positive as far as depth to this uh, to this unit. So while we look at the underperformance last year, and there are obviously concerns to have with Galladay, Slayton, Tony Shepard in terms of his health, there's enough there that the Giants can work with and make this positive. And like I said, I think Robinson, although overdrafted, it's potentially the glue that kind of holds all this together because of the separation and spacing that he can create on the field. It's going to give the other wide receivers better opportunities to make plays, not necessarily draw double coverage consistently. Now you're going to have Barkley coming out of the backfield. It's going to be, you know, a focal point of this offense. So there's going to be a lot of moving pieces that the Giants haven't had in the last two years. And I think although the offense has a ways to go, obviously, I think you're going to see a significant improvement from the wide receivers, no matter what the names are. Yeah, it is. It's just fascinating. I mean, you already drafted Kadarius Tony in the first round last year. You move up. Maybe you did reach a little bit. You moved up to get Wandale Robinson this year. It's just, it does send a message to the room. I mean, that was, we counted it. There's like 13 wide receivers 13. on the roster right now. 13? Dan? 13. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, I wouldn't say that we needed another wide receiver. I mean, that didn't feel like the biggest need, but the Giants certainly thought so. Yeah. Um, I hope it works in their favor. I mean, when we look at this draft as a whole, Robinson's definitely going to be competing for touches right away, I think. Oh, yeah. uh, Thibodeau, Neal, obviously. Yep. Uh, Flott feels like he's going to play a lot. Daniel Bellinger, you like the tight end. Do you think he has a chance to, oh, yeah. to beat out Ricky Seals-Jones for tight end one, right? Like five or five of these first six picks could maybe belt. I mean, I don't know. Dane Belton, he's going to be a reserve probably to start. Well, uh, maybe. But, I mean, they, they, listen, they're thin. They're thin at safety yeah, too. So yeah. Five of these know, first six know. picks I mean, I might play. Right. I don't think he's going to earn a starting job, but I certainly think he might. Yeah, he might play for sure. Yeah. I mean, five of these first six picks are, are going to play it. Never mind some of the second year guys. So right. uh, we're seeing it. The youth. Be a young team. There's the no youth. doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, the youth. Uh, give me like your final thoughts on the draft and we can continue the conversation maybe later in this offseason. But, um, you know, each day had its own. Each day of the draft for the Giants had its own like it was its own story. Right. Like day one was just just glory. Right, home I mean, run. I mean, home run, home and then day two there was some head scratching going on. Well, I and, think all three. I think all three of the day two picks were head scratching. Yeah, and then really. day three people <laughs> were seemed happy again. So it was right. like a roller coaster. Right, and again, like I said before, it's not a knock on the players. I think Robinson's going to be a good player. I think Flott's going to be a good player. Um, Zudu is going. You know, he has the potential to develop out as a, as a solid guard. Sure. I think all three were reaches. I genuinely think all three were reaches, though. And you're right. I, and I think the days kind of structured in a way that it was a home run on day one it was a lot of question marks and eyebrow raises on on uh on day two and then on day three it was like let's fill out this roster bellinger great player good position dane belton good player mcfadden davidson beavers and in round six that's a great pick darian beavers in round six the last pick of the draft for the giants that's another guy who is probably going to play and could develop into a starter someday Tremendous, tremendous guy who slipped way too far there. So for all of the overdrafting that the Giants did on on day two, I think they found a lot of gems and good spots, maybe who slid down way further than they should on day three. That was a hell of a defense that Beavers played on. 
with the Bearcats there. Oh, they yeah. had a hell of a season over there. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's a fascinating draft class. I do want to say this. There's a lot. There's a lot to chew. We we just covered a lot in uh, in in a short amount of time, Dan. There's a lot to chew on there uh, throughout this this episode here. But I do want to say the Giants wire your coverage of the draft. What you guys were able to do. I mean, the Giants made a ton of picks here. How many picks are? Was it over 11. 10? Yeah, 11 picks. 11, 11, picks. 11 picks. I mean, these guys were, were drafted, and you guys had a story up, like, immediately. I don't know how yeah. that's possible, but you guys did that. <laughs> so it was across the whole USA Today NFL Wire network, but especially the Giants Wire. You guys uh, did a tremendous job. Like, I, I just feel like you deserve a pat on the back. You guys seem to get better at it every single year. But your guys' draft coverage this year was just top-notch. I mean, I don't know how people aren't checking Giants Wire during the draft. It was really fun to be like, who the hell is Cordell Flott? Let's let's read about him in real time as the story gets posted. You know what I mean? And you, you couldn't have predicted some of these picks, especially on day two. No, so uh, nope. just like it was just you guys just did an amazing job. So yeah. you, you deserve all the credit in the world for hey, the coverage on, on the draft. Credit credit to my team, John, Doug, Serena, Tyler, Javon. They all did a really great job. Would love to have each of them on the show actually this this coming season. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a credit to all of them. There was a lot of prep work, a lot of research done. Um, you know, like you said, we didn't necessarily have all of it ready to go. There were some picks that were, were surprising there. Yep, uh, yep. But, you know, they're, they're seasoned pros. They did a great job. Uh, and I hope that the fans appreciated the effort and the content that was up uh, as quickly as we could possibly get it up there. We wanted the fans to know who these players were and as much about them and their fits as quickly as possible. So that's always our goal during the draft. I mean, there had to be 30 or 40 separate posts throughout those three, four days? I mean, it was... It's crazy. I, think we had 50. I think we went over 50. It was over 50. It was over 50. Okay. Yeah, I didn't count them all, but I just knew there was a ton. You know, what made, this, what made this draft particularly challenging in comparison to so many more wasn't just that the Giants had 11 picks. It's that, you know, in round one, they had picks five and seven. Uh, you know, in round four, they had picks 112 and 114. In yep. round five, it was 146 and 147. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Round five and six, it was 173 and 182. So that keyboard was smoking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was impressive. Very, very impressive. I do want to say this. I think there's a lot of reasons for Giants fans to be encouraged about this team. Uh, they've got an influx of young talent. Now they're starting to add, you know, depth to their roster. The financial situation is a little messy, but it looks great going into next year. They may not win a ton of games this year, but for the first time in a long time, it really genuinely looks like the Giants are headed in the right direction. And although I say they're probably not going to win a bunch of games this year, I will leave open the potential for them to surprise, uh, especially if they can figure out these injury issues and keep everyone healthy. There's enough talent on this team right now where they're going to be able to compete. The NFC East is a tough division. There's no doubt about that. Every team has gotten better. But I, I think the Giants are headed in the right direction. I think there's a reason for the fans to be excited. And I think for the first time in a long time, you're fun, even if the Giants are losing, you're finally going to get to watch a team that has a functional offense and a functional offensive line. And for no other reason than that, there, there is a reason to be excited for Giants fans. Yeah, and, and just, just, you know, think about me. As a Patriots fan, I have to listen to Joe Judge talking about being the new quarterback. <laughs> and Joe Judge was right in our face on uh, Belichick put him out there back to back days. If you listen to, if you if you could stomach it, go listen to Joe Judge's comments about being the quarterback I, I coach for the Patriots. It. I was, it was, he, it was, he sounds it was exactly so, the same, Dan. It was and it was cringy as a, <laughs> yes. you know, cover, for covering him for two years, it was really cringy to watch. I don't know why. Every every comment he made, he was like, I'm gonna give it to you straight. I'm gonna let me let me tell you how it is. I'm gonna tell you two trades. Like, no, Joe, Joe, if you say that, I know you're bullshitting me. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I, I know you're 
I know you're BSing me, Joe, when you say it like that. You know what I mean? Um, I'll have to go back. Yeah, to it, was, it was strange to watch a guy who was a Patriots guy, you know, talk, you know, in a Patriots jersey. Uh, I mean, uh, a shirt for some reason. It was just as a Giants guy who covered this for two years, it was really strange to watch and listen to that. It really was. It's painful. It was painful and hilarious. So that's the gift that keeps on giving for me. And, and you know what? It's I, I don't even want to. I don't even want to drag Judge too bad. I really don't. Because I thought he tried to be genuine. I thought he tried to do his best. And I do think he got dealt a bad hand at the end there. Uh, but it was kind of like it was with Odell. Once Odell was gone and I started listening to him elsewhere, there was a level of relief. Like, man, I'm so glad I don't have to cover that anymore. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, Absolutely. I'm and sure. I'm sure there were Giants fans were the same way who listened to that. And they're like, I'm so glad I don't have to listen to this every day anymore. Yeah. It sounds if if you you know Giants fan if you want to laugh Giants fans go you know go search uh, Joe Judge's pressers on uh, YouTube with the Patriots it's, it's it'll remind you of something it'll remind you of a time uh, but you know <laughs> oh, so when they were running back to back quarterback sneaks and that's what it oh yeah you. yeah no exactly exactly <laughs> yeah what was the third and nine QB sneak let's go oh, uh, so yeah so you, you don't have to you get a break from from Joe Judge Dan that's that's a good thing this year what, do you get a break from just the grind at Giants Wire here going forward. You got you got some you got a break coming up at all for you. I hope so. Oh God, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, it's been a rough. It's been a rough year and a half. Well, it's really been more than a rough year and a half. It's really been a rough two and a half years at this point. When you go back to Judge being hired and the you know the GM changes and the head coaching changes and system changes and player changes. It's just unfortunately for Giants writers, and I hope fans appreciate this. I, I do hope they appreciate this. For Giants, and I'm not just saying this on behalf of Giants Wire, but for Giants writers as a whole, it has been a long, long, ugly, miserable grind for, you know, two and a half years. And um, if you don't see a bunch of content coming up in the next couple of weeks, leave them guys alone. <laughs> leave them guys and girls alone. Yeah. Yeah. They really, really deserve the break. There's no doubt about it. For sure. Yeah, I hope you get a little bit of a breather, Dan. Uh, but but you guys are doing you guys are doing great work as i said on giants wire hope fans appreciate it hope fans are uh are checking out giants wire we'll be back throughout the off season so um you know keep an eye on that make sure you subscribe so you get our latest episodes right on your phone um and uh if you're good dan i guess we can we can sign off we can sign off and catch up at another time sound good to you yeah that'll be it you know we'll we'll be back uh in time for training camp obviously things are going to be busy there talking about potential uh uh, you know, joint practices, which are always exciting. And last year ended up in uh, fist fights, So we can, uh, we have that to look forward to, Definitely. Um, but yeah, it's going to get real busy real quick. I know, I know fans are, you know, we're going to quiet down here for a little while, uh, but things are going to get busy quick and it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be a different year and uh, hopefully it's just more enjoyable for everybody involved. 100%. So, uh, so for Dan Benton, I'm Ryan O'Leary. We appreciate you and uh, we'll talk to y'all soon. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.